Hi, I'm Eric Connor, Senior Instructor at New York Film Academy. And I'm Ariel Seagard, Acting Alum. And in this episode, we bring you two of the men who helped get Rocky another go-around on the big screen. Director Stephen Capel Jr. And Ivan Drago himself, the man who played He-Man, the Punisher. He was in Don't Kill It, I Come in Peace, The Expendables, Aquaman. Yes, we're talking about Dolph Lundgren. As a director, it's your baby and it's your project, so you're responsible for the whole picture, whereas as an actor, you can always blame it on the director, or at least (laughs) the critics can blame it on the director, so you're off the hook a little bit. You might remember him from a previous episode of The Backlot. And at the time, we were the first ones to find out that he was going to be in Creed II as Ivan Drago. Well, I can tell you now anyway, because it's probably going to you know, be public. But anyway, Stallone contacted me and asked me, you know, what do you think? What about playing him on Drago again, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if it'll happen, but if it does, you know, you know, we heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> so when you grew up 25 miles from Philadelphia like I did, Rocky is more than just a movie. It's like a religion. It's like if you don't know Rocky, you can't really talk to anyone on the playground. If you haven't run up the art steps, then what are you doing? For 40 years, every opening weekend, I'm there. But some of us haven't grown up with it. Some of us weren't there from the start, like you and Dolph Lundgren. My, 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 my old friend. <laughs> He's had a career spanning <laughs> decades. But Stephen Capel, the director, he was newer to the industry. He created his first independent film called The Land in 2016. And then he got Rocky. He got Creed. He got Creed. <laughs> To be honest with you, man, I didn't know how many people watched The Land when it dropped. It felt like it was a, a, a industry thing, you know what I mean? Like, I made The Land, and I'm, I really made it for teenagers, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of kids I was mentoring and for my city, you know? Um, yes, a tool to get out there, but I was like, if y'all rock with it, y'all do. If y'all don't, I, I made it for me. It was like one of those kind of films. And when I did so, it did what it needed to do. And in the industry, it gave me work because they saw I could work with actors and tell stories and non-actors at that. So like, it was pretty effective in that realm. Because um, when I got the call from MGM, like it was, you know, hey, want you to meet Sly. Sly saw the land. Mike saw the land. Come and check it out, you know. So that's kind of like how it helped it so far as like showcasing my work and talent. Mm-hmm. But before that, it was a lot of short films. I did like plenty of shorts um, that kind of got me to notoriety. I got my agent and manager off of a short film, not necessarily my first feature. They helped me get my first feature off the ground, mm-hmm. which was a long process, two years. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's two years of not paying someone or a team, and they're just sending you to meetings and you're hearing a lot of no's. Um, but I got them off of a short film called A Different Tree that ended up like selling to HBO and gave me my first like, I guess, ticket, you know, and then the first feature came out and then everything moved really fast after that. <laughs> so uh, it's not a you know typical story, but I tell like how fast everything moved because I got my agent while I was still in film school and I was trying to drop out. As soon as I got them, I was like, I'm out of here. It's too expensive. <laughs> but I got advice to finish, you know, get that master's degree. Paid them loans, um, but the, it did help because that's where I end up, you know, writing my thesis project, which became the land. And then after that, I made it. So I graduated. So all in all, it worked. I love how he says he made it. You can rock with it, or <laughs> I made it for myself. <laughs> Just so honest, right there. But it's impressive that MGM trusted him so much. Just to say, here you go. Meet with Sly. Right, and I think his feature debut really spoke to him. Yeah. You know, it's funny because it's like some people, this industry is a marathon Mm -hmm. that just kind of keeps going. And then others, like, 
do that one film or write that one script and it's a dash. Right. That was him. He just did a short, had a feature, boom, within three years. Goes from an independent feature, low budget. To, to high, to something. <laughs> to something pretty darn big, to Creed too. And it might be a more recent trend, but there are other filmmakers who have gone from doing like a low budget feature right to a high budget uh, studio picture. Right, like John Watts who did Spider-Man Homecoming. He did Cop Car. Because I know so many of you have seen Cop Car. Like, <laughs> right, but, but the right people saw it. Uh, Colin Trevorrow did Safety Not Guaranteed, which is a million dollar movie. And he got Jurassic World. Wow. And now we have Stephen Capel to add on to that list. Once he got, of course, the blessing of two key players, one being the studio. And the other, Sly himself. To bring me on, you know, I had that was the worry. It was just like, how do I now make it my own? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and that wasn't until meeting with Sly. You know, it's like the studio tell you one thing. They're like, yeah, we want you to speak to the generation. I'm like, yeah, but we're Sly. At? Like, I want to talk to, <laughs> we're Sly. Well, what does he think about all this? And Mike, you know what I mean? Because Mike is not working without Ryan Coogler, who he's worked on his last few pictures right. with, you know? So it was like, I, I, I want to see where they're at, you know, where their headspace is. And they both were on the same page, which is, we need someone from the outside coming in who has a, a perspective on this and um, who is, I guess, a fan, but also can appreciate the characters and transition, I guess, into something like a bigger studio film while adding that like freshness, I guess, to, to the project. And, and Sly was, yeah, he was open about it from the jump. You know, I think it was, you know, we were in his house, we geeked out, watched a few clips from like Rocky IV over and over again. I had to pinch myself when I walked into his house. Man, his house is enormous. He has an actual Rocky statue right there. You seen this Rocky statue? Um, it's, which one? It's only, I mean, no, okay, yeah, wait, no, he's right, he's right. There's wait, multiple. He has a statue of Rocky okay, in his house. Because there's only house. two, sorry, I'm getting off topic, but there's only Not two Rocky statues ever. One yeah. is in Philly. Yeah. That same one is in his house, oh, like, yeah. as soon as you walk yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Dolph has a statue of He-Man in his house. Yeah. I understand that, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the funny thing about the statue is it's brought to mind. There's this clip of me in the movie when I'm when I'm up at the Rocky statue in mm-hmm. Philly, and I'm standing on top of the Rocky steps. Ivan Drago is standing there, and his son's there. I, I remember my internal monologue was, "Just wait till you see my statue." <laughs> this flipping statue is going to be nothing. No, it will be back in Moscow. Huge. It will be very big. Yeah, this is piece of. Sh- to sing. <laughs> I definitely didn't give that motivation, but I'm glad that was in your head. Uh, what's funny, wait, about that scene, when you go to MGM, when I did my pitch of like what the story was going to be, I, I didn't have the, that scene. No. And so they're like, what, every Rocky movie, we have to be at the steps. Not Sly. Sly was like, you know, three fights, let's do the desert, I'm cool, let's rock it. <laughs> MGM was like, steps, we have to have steps and we have to have the statue. And I was like, how are we going to do the steps? Like, Rocky been in the steps a hundred times. <laughs> they ended the last one at yeah, the right. steps. And I was just like, you can't get better than that. They're looking off into the Philly. They're side by side. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm going to bring them back again. And I was like, unless he's, like, dying at the steps. I don't know what else to <laughs> do. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have Dragos on the top of the oh, steps. And they all were like, uh, <laughs> wait, what? You have the Dragos on top of the iconic steps? I was like, yeah, I think it would be cool. The villain is on yeah. the steps and looking yeah. over. It worked, though. I remember, like, being in the theater at the premiere, and everyone was like, oh, like, they felt the tension. <laughs> yeah. But 
the studio was kind of like on ice about it. They're like, we don't know, man. It's like a, that's a tricky move. How the Rocky fans gonna feel? Um, and it's always that, which is interesting when in, in trying to do the film, you're always like, how are the Rocky fans gonna feel? Mm -hmm. Like you gotta keep tapping into that, which is crazy. So a bunch of years back, I was at a wedding in Philadelphia and we took a picture of the bridal party on the top of the steps at the art museum, the famous Rocky steps. While we're up there, I couldn't even tell you how many other people came running up the steps, arms outstretched, you know, doing the Rocky pose. <laughs> when you think Rocky, you think that, you think the steps, you think you the do, statue. Yeah. But the problem with nostalgia is you could also just be trapped in the past. Right. And being such a big fan and then having all these new characters to blend with all the old characters who've already been established, it, that's a tricky balancing act. He had his work cut out for him for sure. And it almost scared him off the project, but thankfully it didn't. I was afraid to take on this project because I am a fan. You know, it was like, who wants to make a sequel to something that was already dope? You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm that guy. When someone says they're doing a part two, I'm like, why? You know, the first one was good. You're going to drop the ball. You're going to mess it up. And then it was like, I did Creed 2. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> like, as soon as the team came, I was like, no. It was like, Creed 1 was good. Why would you go try to do a Creed 2? You're going to, like, drown it. And I was like, well, I guess if someone's going to do it, it might be somebody that cares. Yeah. Um, and I definitely did. You know what right. I mean? Stepping into the project. And so, like I said, I treated it as a fan. So I made it for, like, people who are honestly... Rocky and Creed fans. Like, if you're new to it, great. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't pitch this to the studio, obviously, but I'm letting you guys know on a one-on-one level that it's for you guys who care about Rocky, who care about the Dragos, who want to see this. I was like, I, I'm as a movie geek, you know, it's like how you get excited about, like, a Star Wars or whomever. Like, it's like you want to see those characters alive again. That's why I made the project, ultimately. And no, it was good. I it no, I appreciate that you were, you know, under a lot of pressure because... Not just because the Creed was such a good film and performed really well, but also you're probably internally on your own, like, what the hell, like you said, I'm doing the sequel to, to a great uh -huh. movie, and there's already been another five, six Rocky movies, who knows how many, <laughs> at least six. But on the other hand, I think, well, they were kind of fizzling out some of the freshness going out of the a series. Uh, and then Creed, of course, came along, and it was, it was fresh, it was urban, it was fr new. It was, it was in our times, and this one is the same way. So I think this one just solidifies the fact that there's a chance there'll be a few more of these, yeah. and yeah. they will all be for the new generation, for you guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day, Stallone and I won't be in, in them either, and there'll be other people. Uh, <laughs> Michael B. be like the old guy who's tra <laughs> training somebody. <laughs> Scary, but that's life. <laughs> Mr. Capel was hesitant, to say the least, to board this 40-year franchise that's been around for so long. But, I mean, even the mighty Drago was nervous about getting back into the ring. It was a strange experience, and I wasn't too crazy about it. Originally, when I heard about it, I wasn't sure if I wanted to play this guy again. I was afraid it was going to be just like a one-dimensional bad guy to try to throw some people into, get some people in the theater. You know, MGM was just going to kind of use me as a, some kind of prop there. But it was when I met Steven and uh, read the script that I realized uh, this is a real movie. It's a real acting part. It's a real drama uh, on many levels, not just for me, but for Rocky, for everybody else in it. And, and then it became, um, you know, a lot of work trying to prepare to deliver something that was on the page, you know, deliver as an actor and, and um, make it authentic and f so that's organic. And um, 
and it was a lot of fun to uh, work with Steven, to work with Stallone again, and uh, our fifth picture, and Florian to place my son, Michael B., who's a great guy, good actor. And um, yeah, it was, it turned out to be one of the best experiences in my career, actually, this film, from being a bit, I was a bit not sure about it, but then it turned out to be really great. You know, I can understand his concern because it's not just an actor going back to a role from 30 years ago. It's also like it was the 80s, you know, <laughs> every film it was like U.S. versus Russia. And so Drago, the character, was such a product of that time. So it begs that question, like, is that character even going to be relevant in 2018? Right. And he didn't want to just do like a glorified cameo he actually cared that he was going to be able to explore this character more. And not just his character, but every character really gets to shine and and show some depth. Yeah, and Creed One was like this great reminder that, yes, Stallone was an Oscar-nominated actor. Right. You know, that he really has presence. And then Creed Two, like, this is how far Dolph Lundgren has come. Dolph Lundgren's really become a good actor. I mean, he's done like almost 80 films since Rocky IV. Wow. And his character in that one barely speaks, speaks only in Russian, <laughs> and like just threatens people. If he dies, he dies. That's it, <laughs> nothing else. This one, it's so much more of a real character. Right. So much more complete. Which, I mean, that's to the writer's credit, right? They went after it head on. Right, instead of just making a nostalgia trip. And there's a fabulous scene when they finally meet. And it's just the two of them in uh, Rocky's restaurant. And it's instead of saying, like, well, this is Drago and Rocky. Isn't it cute? They're back together. But rather, you know, what would it be like if they would reunite after 30 years? And it did not disappoint. Everything changed that night. Hey, look, you know, that's like a million years ago. Like yesterday to me. So you came all the way over here to tell me that? Because of you, I lose everything. Country. Respect. Wife. My son will break your boy. It's been a long day. I think we're done here. It really showed how Dolph's acting work has deepened through the years, huh? Yeah, and, and the writing of the character <laughs> deepened with it. It was like they needed all of Dolph, you know, and all of this sort of 30-plus years of experience he's now had to really make that scene fly. The scene was my favorite scene when I read the script, and obviously this guy wrote the script, so why don't you ask him? No, it was um as a fan, just uh again, like similar to your experience, you go to the movie theaters and you want to see some of these scenes where it's like, you know, it'd be cool, drag on Rocky, like actually hashing out like what's been going on for the past 30 <laughs> years. So when I got the script, uh Sly had written the first draft of the script. And when I got it, that scene wasn't in there. And I was like, Sly, man, you guys need to have like a conversation. Like, a, and then first of all, he didn't speak in Rocky IV. So yeah, two lines? Yeah. Let's yeah. break you. Oh, but there was like, let's break if you. If he dies, he dies. Yeah, if he it. dies, he dies. Yeah. That's it, man. Like that was it. <laughs> Maybe like three other there lines There wasn't a lot to memorize. <laughs> and so uh, beyond that, I really wanted to know who Drago was, you know, besides a killing machine. And it felt like a perfect opportunity to blend in that sort of like, you know, 
two legends sitting down hashing out after 30 years, but yet also giving his character some dimension, you know? So it's like, it's more than just a revenge story. It was stuff he's holding on to from the past that, you know, you can see in his eyes. I think uh, one thing we played with throughout that, I don't know how many guys seen the film. I always hate spoiling a film for people, but I'm about to spoil the film for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, desperation. You know what I mean? It was much more than just like, all right, I'm gonna like hurt you and try to hurt you the best way I can. Um, but more so, I have no other route. Like if I'm going to get my name back and have that kind of, you know, status again, you're the only thing that's standing in my way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just to have that kind of scene, it was just between these two, intimate, no one else there at right. a table. Yeah, I don't remember. There wasn't mm -hmm. that much blocking even, so it was all them yeah. as actors inspiration from like, I'm scared to say it, but like Heat, you know, with De Niro and yeah, Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah. You know, the funny thing is though, I realized when I talked to my kids, they're like <laughs> teenagers, you know, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. In a weird way to some people, we become them, you know, because they grew up with us, a lot of people in the action business. And mm. and then, you know, when we're, when you're doing a simple scene, when you boil it down to sitting across the table, looking each other in the eye, then it becomes very personal and very strong on film. Yeah. Because there's no, there's no activity, yeah. there's nothing to do, it's just right there. And I think that's what's brilliant about that scene, which was, as was the one in Heat as well. Yeah, right. but you guys are always like, obviously in the pit, fighting, you know what I mean? You guys are like action stars, you know? So for me, it was like, ah, let's see, let's see the depth behind um, uh, Drago, you know, see where we can take him. They did leave one of Draga's most important lines out from Rocky IV, which was, you know, he says in Russian, I fight for me, for me, and he yells at the crowd. Everything else, though, I think they pretty much nailed. He did not speak much in Rocky IV at all. They were trying to go deeper in the relationship than the last time we saw Drago and Rocky. That conversation in the restaurant is exactly what the audience needed to fully understand after 30 years. And it's one of those things that when the acting works <laughs> as a director, Stay out of the way. And I think that's a, one of those lessons sometimes directors, especially younger directors, newer directors, they're kind of like, no, I have to do this, I have to do that. And to, to Stephen Campbell Jr.'s credit, like he understood, like, let the titans go. Let them do their thing. And you watch the scene, it's so it's simple. It's simple. That's them sitting. I mean, they're sitting. And I think Stephen Campbell Jr.'s approach shows his film school indie film roots and it's why he was able to balance this franchise and made it work despite all this added pressure because he knew to focus on story, to focus on the thing he already knew how to do as a storyteller. And just stay grounded. Yeah, uh, everything is the same when you're like just dealing with characters and actors, you know what I mean? Um, we didn't have musty CGI, we have visual effects for the boxing, so like I'm there, I'm intimate, We they have me there in a one-on-one. This will never change, like how I'm talking to him is how I'm gonna talk on a short film, a commercial, a music video, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that a big film, small film, that's really what these Rocky films are about, you know what I mean, are the characters. So that didn't change, so that took away a lot of <clears throat> the anxiety, I guess, so to speak. Um, and, and then a lot of these guys, <clears throat> besides him and Flo, uh, Rocky, he's been Rocky for, ooh, I can't remember, 40 plus years. And then 
Mike's been Creed already, Tessa's been Bianca, mm -hmm. Felicia Rashad's been Moms already, so everyone already been, he, these guys, he's been Drago, but he's coming back as a new, a different Drago. Yeah. So this was like, a, this conversation was just a little slightly different. It was more dialogue in between us, whereas like Sly, you know, I can just give him a note, he'll rock with it, move it, make it a Rocky, because he improvs a lot. That's the only way how Rocky kind of comes out. So mm -hmm. he'll have his moments where it's Rocky asking to work, he has moments where it doesn't, when I would just get rid of that one. But like, he knows that character. <laughs> And it's been pretty much the same throughout the years, whereas Drago, we're like, we're going in deeper. Yeah. He's not just, I'm just gonna break you. And so that took a little bit more care, I guess, you know, TLC. And we didn't yeah. wanna make sure we didn't step too much into Rocky IV. So those, that dialogue becomes a little different. But beyond that, the basis, the fundamentals of, of filmmaking are still the same. You just have more money, a bigger stage, bigger set pieces. And to be honest with you, that's just hiring the right people. You know what I mean? Everyone who knows how to do it. You know, you ha you're here for your craft, which is telling the story, making sure people feel for the characters, and take them on a journey. It is not your job to sit there by a computer and figure out how to drop, you know, 30,000 people behind in a green screen. That's, you have a team that's there getting paid for that, and that's their specialty. They rock with that. You just tell them your vision, communicate that, mm -hmm. and you're good. Basically, the fundamentals are communicating. Everything I've been saying is about talking to people. If you can lock that down as a director, one million dollar, fifty million dollar, that's just love. And honestly, it's not even. I just spelled out the budget. My bad. But uh, <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> take two. Uh, no, but no matter what size of the project, it's it's still the same. You know what I mean? I think it's just again, it's you're not even looking at that when you're on set sometimes. And and most of that goes away anyway. You're talking about anything from taxes, paying the crew and all. So you're not really working with that amount of money. You know, Dolph was like, you cost so much money. Creed <laughs> <laughs> three, Creed three. He cost him so much money. Um, yeah, you're not really working with that. You're st you still feel like there's not there's never going to be enough time. There's never going to be enough money. So you still feel like you're you're in that same place you were before. I guess. I've heard that even you know Steven Spielberg basically you know gets a green light on anything he wants to do, and has all the money and time. Yet you know even Spielberg probably would like another dollar another day. That's common for all directors, no matter how big a project is. <laughs> You do want more, but you make do with what you have. And Stephen Cable wasn't the only one doing, you know, indie films and then going to such a big blockbuster. I mean, Dolph Lundgren, he was, you know, in the 80s, 90s, he was doing bigger films. But most recently, he's been doing a lot of independent films. Yeah, this winter was like the big comeback of Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> you know. I mean, he, he has some great indie films, like Don't Kill It. But, yeah, he hadn't done a studio film except for The Expendables a long time. And suddenly this winter... There's Creed 2, and there's Aquaman. Right. I mean, this guy's been in so many, like, big films over the past just year. Although he joked that the reason he did those big films might be a little different than what you'd expect. Everybody has to work, you know. A couple of divorces <laughs> and a few other things, kids in school. Part of it, I just, you know, paying a few bills and stuff, too. But <laughs> That's know. not the answer they're looking uh, for at all. No, I know. <laughs> No, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. But like, like Steven said, you know, a small movie like Don't Kill It, for instance, it was an interesting little picture I did. Mike Mendes is this horror movie director, um, really talented guy, and I play a character who talks all the time, like the whole movie, you know, so like all I do is run my mouth all the time, uh, which is obviously different than I do in, a, in some of these big movies. So, you know, that was an opportunity for me to have fun with something that would be quite difficult to do in a big studio picture. Because usually, 
studio pictures, you know, got 30 minutes to set up the story, 25, 30 minutes, and then you, you got execution at the end, you know, two acts of action usually. Uh, Creed 2 was very different because it's more of a drama, and they're, they're quite few and far in between now in Hollywood. It's mostly big extravagances with a lot of CGI, like, like Aquaman, for instance. So um, smaller movies can be great for, as an actor. You can have more fun. There's not as much pressure. You can try things, you know. Yeah, you can try things when you're looking at Sly Stallone across the table, too. You can, you know, in, uh -huh. be inventive, but it's, you know, the stakes are higher. But if you're in a small movie, you can try a lot of stuff that maybe you couldn't do in the big picture, you know. I've also been very lucky this last year also because some of it is your energy as a performer, as a, as a human being, you know, it changes a lot, and the kind of career follows that energy. What goes out to the universe, you put something on, it comes back to you. And in my case, this year, or last year, I was very lucky. I worked with Stephen Capel here, you know, as a great director. I worked with uh, James Wan and Aquaman, who's a great director. And, you know, so it was great for me to be able to use some of the skills I picked up in those smaller movies over the years and use it in a big film, you know. You know, that's the good thing about acting is as, as a director, you know, you, it's your baby and it's your project, so you have to, you know, you're responsible, you're accountable for the whole picture, whereas as an actor, you can always blame it on the director, or at least <laughs> the critics can blame it on the director, so you can, you're off the hook a little bit. Yeah. So if you do a small movie to try something, to play a character you would never play otherwise, like for instance, this horror movie, I would never have done that. I mean. Nobody would probably cast me. I would never have done it in a big movie. It probably wouldn't happen. So I get that opportunity. Uh, so that's kind of how I look at it. As an actor, you can always blame the director. Great quote. <laughs> <laughs> can I use that on set? <laughs> and I don't think a director gets to say, well, I, I can always blame the actor. It seems like that's a one-way street. Right. And these films, like Rocky, I mean, if you ignore Rocky three and four. You actually have a, a series of movies that are really dramas more than action films. And recently, a number of these movies that deal with fighting as a theme, they're like dramas, you know, Southpaw mm -hmm. with Jake Gyllenhaal. Warrior with Tom Hardy. And of course, The Wrestler. Right. With Mickey Rourke. I mean, these are movies that are really just dramas, and the fighting is like an extension of character, as opposed to just being, no, here's an action scene. But rather, no, here's a character who needs to express something. And punch something, somebody. And punch someone. <laughs> I'll give a little bit to Steven, too, but I think that my hope that guys like him will direct more of these movies, because then, you know, boxing and, well, say MMA as well, it's a great way to... Uh -huh. put action into a film without running around with guns, shooting people. That's why I love the Rocky movies. There are no guns. There's no gunplay. There are no explosions. It's, it's about real people and it's about fighting. So there's some nobility to the whole thing. And I think that's why those movies will always be up there and they always last. And you can get an Academy Award working in a boxing movie. And it's very hard to get that, you know, to do an action movie. but. Mm -hmm. You know, you get you, you get the box office, so you can get the performances in there too. And I think that's yeah. whether you're unique. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think it's 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 tough, man. Um, 
because Warriors movie Warriors like one of my favorite movies in general. Well, like, yeah, 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 it's yeah, crazy yeah. good to be. I haven't seen it. Not even just the fighting, just the characters, and that's what all this stuff is about. When you're telling like a boxing or a fighting film, is that story outside the <laughs> ring or the octagon, right? So I think it's kind of tough because now you have to find new angles to tell the story, you know, which would be interesting when we go to Creed three, Creed four, you know. Um, <laughs> I have an idea which I feel like hasn't been touched ever. So I think that's a dope way. I won't say it right now. But um, beyond that one idea, I don't know how many other ways you can tell like a full-on boxing film. You know, um, I, I know for a fact that there's some TV stuff in the works, not with this particular, but I've been pitched and all that stuff. Like they're trying to make shows that are centered around it. So I think it will always live on. The Contender came back with Andre mm -hmm. Ward in it. You know what I mean? You can't escape that sport, even though some call it a dying sport, you know what I mean, so far as viewers and spectators go. But so far as actual fighters, it will never be, you know what I mean? So as long as those people still exist, I feel like it's going to continue. Um, but it's all about right now. I think if it's going to be selling on this level, I don't know how many more Rocky. Cre I don't think there's ever been anything this long in general, so far as a Rocky yeah. franchise that's based off of this fighting thing. Um, Karate Kid, maybe in a sense. I'm just thinking about fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. In general, like what has that longevity that lasts this long? You know, that doesn't deal with like cars or dinosaurs or aliens. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. straight up just two people. Hand-to-hand -hand combat, that's it, sure. you know what I mean? Um, and also the same people, because like in the Bond movies, as soon as Bond, the actor gets a little too old, they pick a new guy. They pick a new James Bond. But yeah, here, right. they're all like, you know, Ivan Drago yeah. still Ivan Drago. Yeah, no, nice. yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so we're up to Rocky number eight. And I mean, I don't know about you, I'm in the mood for like another 10. I think they could pull it off. We've had a lot of boxing movies. There's a lot of boxing movies. Great I mean, ones. Yeah, Raging Bull. A Million Dollar Baby. The Fighter. Cinderella Man. I mean, it, it is a long list. And that's the challenge then for a director coming to Creed Two, is trying to direct not only the eighth Rocky movie, but a boxing movie we haven't seen a million times over. And that we care about. And that we care about and feel like, oh yeah, this one we haven't seen. That was Stephen Cable's challenge. Every Rocky film is slightly different. You know, like Sly himself likes to stay outside the ring for most of the fights. It's, it's easier that way with shooting. Ryan did the, the iconic one in, in the middle of his creed, and then at the end, he stayed on the outside, very similar to Sly, except for hopping in for the big knockout phantom shot where he like tilts off. Uh, for me, I wanted to stay inside majority of all the fights only because of the story and tension between the two guys, the size difference. Um, which is crazy because even in Rocky Four, a lot of the camera work was outside the ring, mm -hmm. and you're like huge, you know, compared to him. And I was like, going inside gives you a a dynamic feel where you feel like you're in his perspective. And so that perspective stuff is what I really wanted to capture. So I did it with sound and I did it with camera work. Sometimes the choreography told it. You know, I had a great camera op, Michael Heathcote. He worked with Mike actually before. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, and so he also knew some of his movements was perfect, you know, so when we were in the scene and, you know, Mike is like jab, jab, slip to the right, come back, boom, boom, he would do that with the camera and then we started creating this one flow, which is like we started to follow the punches and not even the actors, which became really cool because it gave a sense of like a comeback moment or whatever, so it's like you will feel like a punch, punch, and then we'll follow Drago's huge swing, even though Mike is out of frame now, and then he comes with another one and we come right back in. So that was cool stuff to play with, but it puts you all in perspective of the fight. And that's where, you know, at least from what I'm receiving, is uh, audience members are like dodging and weaving and trying to like get into the fight, which is cool. Um, but it gives it that kind of energy. And that's all this fight was like from the jump. I was like, I'm gonna give you mad energy. Whereas 
a Coogler was like, I'm gonna give you like real life pacing and then hit you with something. And then Sly was like, I'm gonna give you massive punches in a very, uh, he has a crazy arc structure to his fights that we even use in the Creed movies um, because he mastered that. We have come a long way from Rocky One. John Alvinson, the director, thought like, you know, you guys are athletes, you're actors, but you know, just, just we'll figure it out. And they show up in the first rehearsal and he's like, oh, yeah, we need to train a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and it sounds like Stephen Capel was able to find the dance within the fight, you know, to find the balance of the story within the moves of the fight. And that extended to even how he approached the entrances for the characters, you know, the ring entrances, to make sure that also was an extension of story, an extension of character, rather than just, now here's a two-minute music video. I didn't realize how important these entrances were with Rocky movies. You came from underneath the ground in Rocky for James Brown singing. James Brown singing and, and came from the top on like an eagle. And then, <laughs> and then Ryan, Ryan did a one-er accident. Balboa was huge too because they shot at an actual fight and so all those people were real and that energy was crazy. So it was like all this stuff, pressure that came with it. Um, but I just went back to the story which was he's taking that first fight not thinking of anybody else but himself, a little bit selfish, and he taps into Apollo Creed a little bit, you know? The other one, he came out pretty humble in Creed when This one, he had to flex a little bit more. So he comes out the Jada Smith icon, we, we designed this LED panel light show. Adonis Creed making a grand entrance tonight, like his father. Creed is ever the showman, and is energizing the crowd. Again, you guys are talking about budget, that one we had to scale down. I was like, how the hell do I impress people with a smaller, I'm gonna, cause all the fireworks went to his entrance mm -hmm. and left the last one. So all the money kind of went there. So I was trying to figure out how to do creeds <laughs> in a really cool way. Um, and it became like LED lights, that's cheap. And that became a theme, like the lights. And so it kind of started from there. And then second match, I'm like, all right, he actually has to come out different. Two ways is he comes out with nobody, bare chested, no music, kind of Tyson style, but Drago had did that in the previous fight. So it's like, how do I switch it up? And it was like, Tessa, he's doing it for family. He has a support system. And so she wrote a song um, that was her singing, her writing it, the whole nine. That's her stuff. I don't know if I can take it, I can take it, I can take it anymore. Um, for that moment and when we kept doing like adjustments because it didn't feel war ready, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I was waiting for something that felt war ready. And then, yeah, it came up with this idea of just follow the light off of a Tron and landing on them and they're kind of popping out, which again is a mixture of CGI and, and, and cheap lights almost. <laughs> but in all fairness, I think it works. It's just supposed to give you that ampness and the fact that they're coming out together and it's cool to peep into the theaters and see people clapping at that moment or cheering, feeling like they're ready to go at it because they think, you know, the Dragos feel like it's their home turf. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how the idea came up with uh, from there. So what would your entrance music be if you're a boxer? Mm, that's a good question. I know. Ugh, somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> Why I got you beat. Hold Me by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Soft, it's tender. There it is. And it speaks to who I am. <laughs> You can tell we're not ferocious boxers. And thankfully, Stephen Cable did not ask our opinion for his music selection. And those entrances into the ring, I mean, that's a scene that usually in any other boxing movie is kind of forgettable. But in this movie, as a director, he made sure like it was part of the storytelling, spoke to who the characters are. And some of his most impressive work for this film was just what he did with Drago. 
just the character itself. Sure. Yeah, in the first movie, he almost seemed like like a cyborg. Right. And in this one, he's really human. Exactly the kind of thing like Dolph Lundgren now could play so beautifully. Obviously, I played the character once before. When mm-hmm. I played him the first time, I was 35 years younger, and there was not <laughs> as much internal work, but it, there was some external work, a little bit of stuff that I picked up watching movies about Soviet boxers, Soviet uh, officer cadets. They stand a certain way, mm-hmm. like with their chin up, and there, mm-hmm. there were some posturing things that I used for the first guy, very straight and kind of a, a thing, and also the way he fought. So some of that I, was in my spine, you know, so I had it there already. But in this film, it was a, more of an internal performance. So I had to focus on the guy's journey, what happened to him in 30 years, the last 30 years, and what happened to me in 35 years, what happened to Dolph in 35 years, all the stuff I've been through, all the injuries, all the pain I've had, rejection in the business, bad movies, things people didn't believe in me, a lot of things that I've gone through as well, personal problems as well. So I try to find some connecting tissue there so I could use for some of these scenes. So I didn't have to try to play it, try to, I didn't have to push it. I could just feel it and kind of internalize it and didn't have to try to to show too much what the guy is actually feeling, but he has a lot of pain, you know, and everything comes from pain. Even his anger, hate, whatever you see comes from pain. And I think that's why the character becomes interesting. Mm-hmm. And then of course I had 40 lines in Russian and somebody at MGM, or maybe this guy said, oh, Dolph's from Sweden, he can speak Russian. Give him another 25 lines. Well, Swedish and Russian are like English and Russian. There's no similarities yeah. whatsoever. I, I, I did think, I did think, I thought you did speak Russian. <laughs> this is before I met him. And now people speak, now, they think, now I'm done, because now they think I speak fluent Russian, because apparently the scenes were quite good, even Russians think No, wait, good. wait, hold on. So the next I film, I want to be done. I want to be done. <laughs> We're MGM, and I'm like, and, and we get, we deliver the script before he reads it, and like it says, like you know, all dialogues in Russian, like his parts, and then somebody asked that question in the room. And I was like, yeah, he got it. He speaks like seven languages, though. He was like, he's Russian. And then someone goes, yeah, he is Russian. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, no, I knew. What's up? Yeah, like, like, like the, head, the head of the studio, probably. You know. Yeah, Dolph's yeah, Russian. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, Russian. So, that, yeah, well, this thing oh, is, man. you know, it's an illusion, right? So the, if, you, if you can connect to the guy on an emotional level, and if he speaks another language, and, and that's what made me look kind of a bit like I've, Lived in, you know, Kiev with not with a pretty bad dentist and uh, you know not too, <laughs> not too many facials or anything like that. Uh, so I look a little bit. I uh, haven't seen the sun for many years. So I think the combination of a lot of little things like that um, that's the magic of cinema. It adds to the illusion that you really believe the guy. You know, is Russian. Uh-huh. And even for me, you know, when I watch the movie, it has an impact and it's it's pretty strong. It works. As you can see, the character has come a long way in uh, 30-some-odd years, from I must break you to (laughs) this complicated, very sad, lonely father that we see Drago has become in Creed II, and uh, one that is a good reflection, you know, of the times we're in now versus what life was like in the 80s. Yeah, and Hollywood's come a long way, too. This is the fourth film this year directed by an African-American that has made over a hundred million dollars. 
Mm. And and that in some ways you're like, oh well, that yes, it is an applause more than a it is a slow process, right. to be totally honest with you. Um, where we're at now, we should have been at years ago. I think it really is a matter of, not filmmakers, I met so many talented filmmakers, and I can only imagine someone who's been in the game for longer to meet more, that are young, that are women, that are black, that are whatever, you know? Um, it's just a matter of having those people in those seats at, with power, so far as these studios go, and us going out to support these, a lot of them are independent films, but there's so much talent out there, um, it's ridiculous. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm a step into producing too as well, just because I feel like they're all there and I'm like, I want to see everybody kind of work. And that's where this kind of movie comes into play, to have someone like Ryan Coogler, who's a producer on this, myself, a director, Black, um, you got Mike Atessa, Mike's a producer, Joel, who's a writer I brought on, he's Black from Alabama, to have that kind of camaraderie and like say, hey, we want to tell this film, meant a lot to us. You know, and that was a big part of me stepping onto it. Get the call, MGM wants you to do the film. Dope. Brian, what's up? <laughs> you know, like, what's going on? Like, are you involved? What's, what's all the details? Because you want to make sure that there's, like, there's a movement going on. You know what I mean? If no one's aware, there's a strong moment between women and just diverse storytelling. You know, I hate the word diverse, but it's diverse storytelling. And, and it's powerful, but it's great to have these moments where we can showcase, like, it doesn't matter what gender, what sex, who you with, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's just legit. We just, the, the power of storytelling and the, the talent is there. and if we can get in these seats and be able to show a unique perspective, then great. But I, it's cool being the fourth this year, I guess. It's also like, damn, that's it? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's yeah, only four? Yeah. And how many, what, Fast and Furious were there? How many James Bond movies were there? How many, da -da? four? It's a problem. Yeah, we're talking about one women director, like, you know, Wonder Woman, that's it. Really? That's it? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, it is progressing, but at the same time, I think it's a time to reflect and look at these numbers and be like, yes, this is cool, but yeah, we have a lot of growth to do, um, or growing to do. It's all about, like, again, like myself being at USC, there is this sense of, like, not even just, uh, like, the true relationships weren't my professors, it was everyone around me. My editor, uh, she's a woman, dope, she did all my short films, she did my features, she did Creed 2, took her with me, you know what I mean? Like, my assistant, who turned producer on Creed, Mexican dude from East LA, his family straight from Mexico, took him with me, you know what I mean? Like, we came up together and these are people who believed in me, these are people who produced my short films, my music videos, who I just connect with, you know what I mean? There's, it's your village. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and, it, and it looks like the world that we see today. So it's like, it's for me, it's no problem to fight for them when I'm in a room with a studio um, because I know they're talented and you will deal with racism or sexism or whatever it is when you're in these rooms straight up, but keep prevailing, you know what I mean? Like these moments right now where I can sit in front of you Talking about numbers like 100 mil, those are the wins. You know what I mean? So uh, keep pushing through. Definitely look at your neighbors to the left and right of you and, and, and your rider dies. If you're having trouble as an actor because of your accent, go find that community who's like, yo, who wants to tell, no, legit, like stories and make yourself the lead of your own movie. You know what I mean? Like do it, because no one's gonna believe in it until they see it sometimes. Unfortunately, that's how the world works. That's how the studio system works. So if you show them, like this is a powerful short film or whatever it is, a feature independent where I'm the lead. I produced it, look what I'm able to do, my capabilities, make them put you in a movie. You know what I mean? Like don't don't accept that, no. Um, and this is coming from a person that heard of many no's. Like I'm telling you, like I heard so many rejections, I'm sure you have too. So to be standing here in front of you guys with this dude, with this movie under my belt, it's a huge blessing. But at the end of the day, those names behind 
that credit Creed 2 mean way more to me than anything else. Like I said, and that's me working with Ryan, Mike, and these guys, and having that, being like, look, look what we did. Because I was curious why Spike and John Singleton didn't produce each other's stuff. I was curious, like, where was that at? You know what I mean? And I think this is that time. Mm -hmm. It's always good to end on such a positive note. And man, he deserves those applause. Oh, yes, he you does. Know. You know, it's funny. The, the original Rocky, it's, it's hard to remember this, was like this independent film. Like Stallone wrote from his heart. He connected with that character. Heck, he put his own dog into that film. It was so personal. And I feel like that is what they've been able to put back into the storytelling with Creed's 1 and 2. That's what Stephen Cable Jr. and Dolph Lundgren did together. They made this thing both big and small, you know, a Hollywood movie that is also very intimate, like the best independent films. We want to thank Stephen Cable Jr. and Dolph Lundgren for speaking with all of our students. And thanks to all of you for listening. He's Eric Connor. That's Ariel Seagard. And this episode was based on the Q&A that I got to moderate. Humongous thanks, though, to Chris Devane, who set this entire thing up and brought them to our school. To watch the full interview or to see our other Q&As, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash New York Film Academy. This episode was written by Eric Connor, edited and mixed by Christian Hayden. Our creative director is David Andrew Nelson, who also produced this episode with Christian Hayden and Eric Connor. Executive produced by Jean Sherlock and Dan Mackler. A special thanks to our events department, Sacha Johnson, and the staff and crew who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or, you know, wherever you listen. See See you you next time. time.